Welcome to Crescent City Crime, dear listeners. I'm Tracy. And I'm Brian. Welcome to everybody who has been here in the past. And if you're new and you just randomly picked this episode to listen to first, welcome to the podcast. We're very happy to have you. It's welcome, listeners, and we're very happy to be spend time with you. Of course, you can follow us on all of our social media things, which will be linked in the show notes. Make sure that you rate us and that you give us a five-star review. And subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting platform. We are also over on YouTube. And word of mouth is always very helpful. So please tell your friends and... Tell your enemies, especially your enemies. And I have some announcements. Ready for some announcements, Brian? Certainly. Next week, dear listeners, we would normally be releasing a Coffee Talk episode, but instead, I am pleased to announce that we are bringing back our Patreon, which we fell off the Patreon train, but we are getting right back on that, on that, uh, we're getting right back on it like Marty McFly and Doc Brown when they stole that locomotive in Back to the Future 3. (laughs) (laughs) And since our Patreon the idea of our Patreon is to discuss movies that have, a, you know, the theme of crime in them. And perhaps it should not surprise anybody that the movie that we will, we will be discussing this month will be Dead Man Walking. This is uh, Susan Sarandon's Oscar-winning role where she portrayed Sister Helen Prejean. And our Patreon will be twice a month where we will discuss a different movie every time. And it's only going to be $3 to join. Oh, well, that's cheap. Yes, it is. Yep. That's um, the price of the, uh, the price of the regular coffee. Uh, CC's PJ's, maybe a Starbucks. Oh, okay. Uh, Just so uh, y'all know, CC's and PJ's are two local New Orleans, Coffee chains, Starbucks is, I believe, national. I believe there's a Starbucks in every city. There's there's a PJs in Tennessee somewhere. Oh, where in Tennessee? I noticed an online review of one. Oh, okay. Well, maybe yeah. it did. Okay, so maybe it's more of a southern regional chain, PJs. Yeah, right, but okay. it, it did originate in New Orleans. I think the original location was on Maple Street. Could I, be wrong, or, or Magazine Street. I used to go to the one. That was in one of the hotels near where I used to work at. And then there was also one that's on Canal Street. I used to go to that one sometimes, too. Yeah, PJ's is always good. Yeah, it is always good coffee. You're right. So, now that we have that part out of the way, make sure that you check social media. Again, I will link the Patreon in the show notes. I will be releasing that particular episode on our regular podcast and on the Patreon, just kind of as a little preview. We're going to return to our regularly scheduled programming on May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. Which I didn't even realize until I was looking at the calendar and typing things out. I said, oh, that's, that, that is the day for Star Wars. Yeah, unintentional, purely coincidental. Yes, it is. It, because it is on a Thursday this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And on May the 4th, uh, we will be talking about a story that is deeply fascinating to me. It is a story that I have been wanting to do ever since I conceived this podcast. It's going to be one of those mysteries. Mysteries? Yes, it's going to be a mystery. Oh, and of course, during the course of the episode, we're going to solve this mystery. I really wish we would. You, you ever notice that it's like every every time, you know, every show you've ever seen or listened to about a mystery, of course. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, the first time I would watch or listen to any of those things, I, ex- I fully expected the producers of the show to have solved the mystery. And that's why we're watching. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I'm, I am sorry to say that we will not solve the mystery. I am very sorry about that. Spoiler alert. We will not solve the mystery. <laughs> we will only discuss it, which is the only thing that happens when I show about a mystery anyway. I know. However, I am sure that our dear listeners will be wanting to hear it. Certainly, and they'll have their own theories, of course. Yes, they will. Yes, and maybe, just maybe, the true crime community can solve this one. It it has happened before, but this particular story already has its own Reddit board and everything. So, anyway. And lastly, if you are, if, if you listened to us last week or the week before, I mentioned that... I want to expand the podcast a little bit. Next month, we are going to be previewing our expanded series. It's uh, called Crescent City Crime Go South. The series will be monthly episodes on crimes that have taken place in the South, and they will be deep dives. So we're talking one, one and a half hours, maybe even sometimes two hours uh, long episodes. And it's going to be as much information as we can pack into a podcast. So listen for that preview episode late in the month of May. It sounds like fun, but that might be a challenge because I'm a man of few words. (laughs) Okay, fine. Three-hour episodes. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) And lastly, dear listeners, if you are someone on social media that has liked the sticker giveaway post on Instagram, slide into my DMs with your address so I can get the mail train going. Because honestly, the, these days I have no idea who may or may not be a bot on Instagram. So if you're a real person and if you're really listening to this, and if you really like that Instagram post, slide into my DMs, please. And thank you. And with all that out of the way, Brian. Brian, talk. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just nod your head on a podcast. <laughs> Okay, Brian, are you ready to take a quick break before we get into the episode proper? Sure. All right, we will be back after this quick break. And we are back. Today we are talking about Sister Helen Prejean. She was born on April the 21st, 1939. Uh, She was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Her parents were Augusta May who was a nurse, and Louis Sebastian Prejean, a lawyer. She enjoyed a nice middle-class upbringing. And what do you think she did as a form of rebellion, Brian, from this this young lady 
from a nice middle class up, upbringing, how do you think she rebelled? She probably volunteered her time. She became a nun. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And for those of you who don't understand how this works, if you want to be a nun, you want to, and you want to do specific work, you join a certain order of nuns. Okay. You know, so like if you wanted to work with the poor or if you want to work in education, whatever you feel like your path might be while being a nun, you join a certain order to do that. So she joined the Sisters of St. Joseph of Medali in 1957. She wanted to work with, she wanted to do everything. She wanted to teach and she did. She taught, um, I'm sorry. She taught junior and senior high school. She, in 1962, received a Bachelor of Arts in, ed, in English and Education from St. Mary's Dominican College in New Orleans. And in 1973, she earned a Master of Arts in a Religious Education from St. Paul University. And she has been the Religious Education Director at St. Francis Cabrini Parish in New Orleans and the formation director for the Sisters of St. Joseph of Medali and her, so all these credentials, right? How mm -hmm. do you think this woman goes from this? I mean, really, when you think about it, it doesn't sound so bad. You're a nun, you're a teacher, you work with the poor, you do all these things, right? Yeah. So how does she get involved with death row inmates? That's a good question. Apparently, uh, very few nuns do that. Well, I'll tell you how it started. It all started with when someone asked her for a favor. They want this person that she knew asked her to correspond with Elmo Patrick Sonnier while he was on death row in the Louisiana State Penitentiary. She visited him. She visited him in prison and agreed to be a spiritual advisor in the months leading up to his execution. This gave her a greater insight into the process involved in executions. She was exposed to every aspect of the convict, families, and others in the prison. Now, while she began to speak out against capital punishment, it was very rough. And I understand that. Like, where do you even really begin to have this conversation, right? I mean, do you sit there and go, oh, well, I, it, it's a hard position to take saying that you feel compassion for a terrible person. And it, but it's not necessarily compassion for a terrible person. It could simply be as, 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 uh, as simple as put this person away for life on earth. They're separated from society. They're deprived of their freedom and any leisure or privileges that they would have on the outside. And this is their time to prepare for the afterlife, to give them a chance to repent right. before God instead of uh, simply ending their life, which, which uh, you know, there, there are people at the church who believe that executing someone is quite literally passing judgment upon them whereas in their eyes of course god is the only entity fit to pass judgment 
Right. But, you know, like I said, very, very rough, right? It's a hard position to take. And, of course, you're going to be questioned. All your actions are going to be questioned. You're going to be questioned by everybody, politicians, survivors, families, even the families of, of those who are, who are convicted, right? Because they're going to be like, well, what, what, do you, what do you want out of this? Why do you want to do this? Um, I do think that sometimes it is very hard for, let's say, a, a mother whose child has been convicted of murder and is sitting on death row. And that's difficult too. It's you know, it's not like the mom wanted her child to be on death row, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. The mother continues to love the child. It's just the mother just doesn't love what the child did. Mm-mm. Absolutely right. And of course, you know, a lot of these people too, you know, they have siblings and aunts and uncles and friends, and it's like you know, they kind of get lost in the shuffle sometimes because everybody wants to focus upon the victim's families. But I would also say that if, if your child did something like this, they victimized their own family. Yes, yes. Okay. The families of the perpetrator are also victims of the perpetrator as well. Right. Well, I would say most of the time. I know there's going to be sometimes some cases where the parents were not necessarily good people. Maybe they taught their children how to do bad things, but that's not always the case. And that's not really who I'm talking about here. I am talking about families who just were simply caught up in the middle of what their child decided to do. Yeah. Okay. Right. So sister Helen Prejean did also found the organization survive, which is devoted to counseling survivors and the families of victims of violence. So she's, she's learned how to walk both ends of the pool here or swim in both ends of the pool, right? She's trying to accommodate as many people as she possibly can through her work. Yeah. She, she is compassionate towards the victims as well. Of course. Yes. After witnessing the executions of Sonnier and Robert Lee Willie, Sister Helen realized that the mystery surrounding death row and execution should not remain hidden any longer. This was when she wrote her book, Dead Man Walking, based on her experiences with death row inmates in general. The book explored the effects of the death penalty on everyone involved, and it became a bestseller. And I remember when this book hit the shelves. Do you remember? The 1990s? 1993, yes. Okay. Yeah. But do you remember when it hit the shelves or not? I don't. No. So I remember it. Be- I was def- off defending the country. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So that, that was the year you were out of... Uh, you were out of touch with what was going on in America. Mm-hmm. Okay. No problem. Well, thank you for your service, honey. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that's why we get to sit here today talking about it, right? That's right. That's why the city of New Orleans is not being shelled or bombed or has snipers in the streets or roadside bombs to blow up vehicles. Yeah. Because we have people defending this, defending our country. Okay. Well, I was about uh, 
I believe I was 12 or 13 years old when this book hit the shelf. So it was quite a, it was quite a conversation in which adults around me were having this larger discussion that I didn't fully grasp, of course. But I did read the book when I, later on in high school, and it did make an impression. It, even if I didn't really, still didn't really understand it, and I'll be honest with you, even today, I don't, I still have trouble understanding it at all. It, it, uh, it does involve great, great reflection. It actually took me years to understand what was going on, whereas I really didn't have an appreciation of what was going on there when I was in my 20s. I was in my 20s. I was being very judgmental. You know, what what, what, what what's killed the scumbag ASAP? Mm-hmm. All that stuff. Yeah. All that all that judgmental stuff that doesn't really that doesn't actually serve any purpose. Except to make you angry and, you know, let hatred boil underneath your skin. Now, the book hit the shelves when national support for the death penalty was over 80%. The book ignited a national debate on capital punishment. And, of course, it inspired the, the, the movie. It also inspired a play and an opera. And this was when Sister Helen started her national speaking tour, which she still does to this day. She still gives talks about the importance of understanding this more deeply. In 1999, she formed Moratorium 2000, which is a national education movement that aims to educate people about the abolition of the death penalty. From this education, the organization Witness to Innocence was formed. Witness to Innocence is composed of death row survivors who were exonerated after being convicted for crimes they did not commit. Imagine being on death row, knowing that the state is trying to kill you, but also knowing that you did not actually do the crime which you are sitting on death row for. It has happened. It has has happened. As I learned in my criminal justice studies, 10% of the prison population are actually innocent people, or at least innocent of what they're serving time for. Right. And Sister Helen personally worked with inmates who were executed that she believed were, were innocent. So this has touched her life personally as well. In in 2004, she wrote another book called The Death of Innocence, an eyewitness account of wrongful executions. In this book, she tells the tale of two men, Dobie Gillis Williams and Joseph O'Dell. She accompanied them to their executions. And again, she believes that both men were innocent of the crimes for which they were convicted. And I'm going to tell you, in in this day and age where we have DNA technology so readily available, it just seems incomprehensible to me that people can still die for something they did not do. 
it, 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 or by the state, right? I mean, unfortunately, you have innocent victims every day who have something happen to them that they didn't ask to happen to them, or because they're in the wrong place, wrong time, or whatever. But this is different. Yes. Okay, this is entirely different. And the fact that we are seeing people who are released from prison decades after a wrongful conviction. I mean, you know, that's, again, that's one thing. That person's still alive. They can in, try to enjoy their life outside of prison. But you can't bring back somebody from the dead. No. Okay, you, you can't do that. So people who were on death row who did not do anything and were executed can never be exonerated. They can never walk again. But if they just had been sentenced to life in prison, there's a chance that they could have gotten out of prison and enjoyed the rest of their life as best they could. It's like you taught in the police academy. If you put the cuffs on the wrong person, you realize that you can, you can unarrest that person. You can remove the cuffs and let them go. But once you pull that trigger, there's no recalling uh, the bullet. Exactly. And we're going to end here for a quick break. And we are back. Sister Helen works with people of all faiths and also those who don't follow an established faith. Uh, and her voice does resonate with many people all over the world. She has made personal approaches to two popes, John Paul II and Pope Francis, urging them to establish the Catholic Church, Church's position as unequivocally opposed to capital punishment under any circumstances. At her urging under Pope John Paul II, the Catechism was revised to strengthen the Church's opposition to executions although it allowed for a very few exceptions. But then when Pope Francis came into, into power, she also met with him in 2018. And as a result of that meeting, Pope Francis announced new language of the Catholic catechism, catechism which declares that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person with no exceptions. That's pretty important work. You're persuading popes. Yes, that's extraordinary for a nun to make that kind of connection to a pope. Yes, it's very, like I said, very important work. You need to get... That's how these things can really change is through institutional change. And of course, the church is not the only institution involved here. There's also state institutions that need to be persuaded. And of course, you know, even federal, because of uh, federal institutions, because there's still federal death row. Yes. Okay. When asked if she ever questions her own beliefs regarding the death penalty abolition, she says, when I question it the most is when I'm in the presence of someone like the Harveys. This was um, Faith Hathaway's parents, uh, who says that we'll never see our daughter alive again. 
and you know that and you know that they want this and they desire the death of a person and i feel so morally inept to meet that that is when i most my foot swings over the cliff and it doesn't stand on just even though intellectually i know that i'm against the death penalty in the families in the presence and the pain of the families i think i would want to give them anything and that is when i question myself the most so even sister helen still struggles with her own beliefs on this which is which is important i think you should always have a little bit of doubt yes because that's the only way you can gain confidence in your beliefs is if you if you, if you test them yes and i am really talking about abstract beliefs here because you know there are certain lines that you should never cross but abstract beliefs and ideas are something that i believe are supposed to be for a debate even if it's debate with yourself yes okay when asked what she says to those who say that she does not think through the seriousness of the crime and the impact on the victims she says that the people the victims that are involved on the opposite side of the people on death row i keep thinking of the image of a seesaw with them and me because it is so hard for them to accept me because i'm not for executions and if they are for the death penalty the possibility of our being able to meet and to be able to mutually support or to help each other is very, very minimal. So those people, it has been minimal in terms of what I have been able to do. But for example, just a couple of weeks ago, a woman called who had seen the movie and she said that my 16 year old daughter was killed and I've really been going through a lot and would like to talk to you. And so I said, of course, and I'll respond to people if I feel I can be of help to them. Probably the best thing I've done for victims was to start the survive organization because then they can help each other. Because I'm such a strong opponent of the death penalty, I think it makes it very, very difficult for many victims' families to relate to me. So that, that's a great bit of self-awareness. That is a great bit of self-awareness that it's also... A, a bit of uh humbling herself and that's that's a wonderful way to be when you have the awareness to understand that your position on things is going to make some people uncomfortable but you still recognize that those people need help and you do your best efforts to help them sometimes ha here's a good lesson sometimes the best way that you can help people is by removing yourself from the situation yeah yeah mm -hmm. she also says that she understands that vengeance is a natural human emotion she points out that while law enforcement are the ones who sees what the rest of the public does not like in terms of the the bodies and the evidence and the overall crime scene she sees things that law enforcement does not see she goes through the process of what it means now to turn the condemned to those who are doing it for the government who are going to kill the people now who have killed other people right like yeah. it's a it it's to and when i 
when I read those words, I kind of think, you know, it's like, it's like a chain reaction where you're blowing things up like a string of firecrackers and, you know, that's it. it it's a string of firecrackers that you're blowing up. Yeah. Situation where she's spending more time with these perpetrators than the police or, uh, or the victims or the victim's families. Right, right, right. She says that, I think the victim's families are the most vulnerable ones in this discussion, and they're the most understandable in wanting vengeance. What I don't accept is the politicians going for it because they have their ready little symbol. And above all else, Sister Helen Prejean pushes two very important points. Most states that still have the death penalty were slave states, and that people with money don't sit on death row. Yeah, that's it. It's because well, people with money can get a better attorney and a, a better chance at a fair trial, whereas some of the the innocent people who've gone the death row, what they all have in common is a public defender. Right. Right. She also says that I do not believe if we say God is a loving and merciful God, that God puts people in this frying pan and zaps them in fire for all eternity and plunges them into an eternal pain. What kind of merciful, merciful God is that? It's a mystery, of course, but I believe that it cannot be the imposition of, of eternal pain. And also... What people need to understand about the Catholic faith is that the Catholic faith says that God does not put anybody in eternal damnation. God does not send anyone to hell. It is the person who has forsaken God who sends him or herself to hell, who makes these choices because God has given everyone free will. So you have the, the free will to commit good or commit evil. And if you commit evil, you're turning your back on God and you are literally choosing hell. Mm. God is not putting you there. He gave you the will to make your choices. Right. And and, and Sister Mary Prejean understands that. Helen Prejean. Oh, oh sorry. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Sister Helen Prejean, if you're ever listening to this, Brian is sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. But she does also give a, a lovely sentiment about what heaven might be. She says, what if heaven is where our loved ones are at our side, but we can't see them? It's called the communion of saints in the Catholic Church. Not that it's a literal place, but what if they have crossed over a threshold in which they have moved into a way of being that is somehow connected in love with everything? And maybe that is the heart of what it what it all means, right? Okay, I, I I like that too. I really enjoy hearing about no matter what the faith is. I do enjoy hearing about what that faith's version of heaven might be. What do they think it's like? I think it's always a a, a lovely concept. Yes, but the according to the Catholic faith, um, heaven. Going to heaven is rejoining 
rejoining with God, your loved ones who have rejoined God with God before you are there, but it's mainly about rejoining with God, according to the, the Catholic, Catholic faith. faith. Right. Yes. And that's more or less our episode on Sister Helen Prejean. We're going to take another quick break and be back with our final thoughts. And we are back. And Brian, uh, what did you think of today's discussion? I found it very, very eye-opening. It, it, it is a very enlight, enlightening, enlightened discussion. And, you know, also non, non-judgmental discussion. And, you know, you can be opposed. You, you could be, you could advocate being tough on crime without being judgmental. Yes, you, you can, you can, you can find that balance, even if you struggle with it. Because after all, well, there's two kinds of judgments. There's judgment in the eyes of the law and there's judgment in the eyes of God and they're separate. Right. So advocating for. Uh, life imprisonment instead of the death penalty is ad, is is advocating for punishment on earth you see uh, letting it, it could be either to suffer in prison or take their time in prison to prepare to redeem themselves in the eyes of God right and it's it could also be seen as a chance for someone in that prison to be uh, touched in a positive way by someone who's trying to redeem themselves that's very well put and this is you know this is also why i believe a lot of uh, people, and, and yeah, sometimes it, it probably is just for show because you want to look good in court. You know, you, you pretend that, you're, that you've reformed and you want to carry a Bible to court. And you want to tell the judge, oh, I've reformed in prison, so please parole me, or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, sometimes it's a ruse, but sometimes it's not. I don't believe it's always a ruse. It often is, I mean, and the, the, of course, when it is a ruse that these people are just only fooling themselves because, you know, God is not fooled. God knows exactly what you're thinking, what you're doing. And the, the temp, you know, the temporary uh, pleasure and fulfillment you get from fooling people is a very short time compared to compared to the afterlife. So if, if, if you choose to continue a life of, of chicanery and malarkey, yeah. And yeah, yeah m- malarkey, then you're, you're making, you're, you're making that choice that, okay, well, you know, you, you'll have a little better here, but after, in the afterlife, you're, you're going, you're, you're choosing to go to hell. Your choice, not God's choice. God didn't make you do a damn thing. 
Mm. It gave gave you the free will. You you you're make you're making your choices. Yes. And everybody, we thank you so very much for choosing to listen to this podcast. I have to say, we're that this is uh, episode fifty three that we're closing out. Feels really good to keep going on this podcast path. You know, one of my friends was telling me that a lot of podcasters don't make it past six episodes. Wow. Yeah. Well, you should never, if, if you have a passion for doing something you enjoy, you should never give up on it. As long as that passion is not murder. Don't do that. <laughs> well, most people don't have murder as a passion. Thank, thank, thank goodness for that. Yes, yes because it, if they did, we... Well, millions of people will be murdered every single year. That's true. Yes. So we're going to close out this episode now, dear listeners. And we, again, we thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to bringing you our special Patreon episode next week. Make sure that you check the show notes for all social media links. And once again, if you are a person on Instagram a real person who listens to this podcast and has liked that post on, on Instagram, slide into my DMs. And until then, everybody, be safe, be kind. Remember that we're all human beings. Don't park next to vans. And if it's dark, it's dangerous, it feels unsafe, make good choices. Don't be there in the first place. Don't choose to be there. Don't choose to put yourself in a position for someone else to choose hell and if you wind up in the middle of a of a hell on earth situation you're talking to law enforcement official capacity and you're not the victim or the witness to a crime lawyer up <laughs>